Hello, everybody. Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today, I'm here with my longtime friend, Mr. Todd Lansky with Resurgence Legal Group and also a past president and one of my mentors on the board of RMAI. How are you doing today, Todd? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Adam. Great I feel to be like, with you. I feel like I could have done your intro for 20 minutes. I feel like I could have just kept listing yeah. things. So well, for- that, that's, that's, that's very kind. For those that have not been lucky enough um, to be mentored by you for the last you know, 10 years plus, could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today? I'd be happy to. And also, again, not sure what took us so long to get this podcast or get this uh, dialogue together, but nonetheless, here we are. So yes, I, you know, I think everybody enters the debt um, collection space in, in unique ways. Mine is, mine is no different from that perspective. Fun fact that many may not know, in my former life, I was actually a sports agent. And so I spent my time representing basketball players overseas for a number of years out of law school. Mm. And over time, it just turned into a significant amount of of babysitting, to be honest with you. I was getting calls at all hours of the night, send me shoes, send me money, send me sugar cereal. I was on my honeymoon and and sort of looked at it as I'd, I'd had enough and was looking to get into a more uh, stable business environment. So when I knew I was looking to get back into law, it was going to be something business orientated based upon all the transactions that I engaged in with with overseas basketball operations. And so um, wasn't necessarily looking for a debt collection law firm or debt buying company at the time, Mm -hmm. but there were two principals that had a debt collection law firm that were transitioning out of the law firm and setting up Resurgence Financial, a standalone debt buying company. So when I met with them, really what intrigued me was the business aspect of it, the factoring aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And needless to say, they weren't looking for a sports agent, and I wasn't necessarily looking for a debt purchasing company. Um, But essentially, I became the first employee at Resurgence Mm -hmm. uh, back in 2002. And so the value in that as they were transitioning out of the law firm is that I learned the business. I was the Mm -hmm. attorney, the paralegal, the collector. And so really kind of learned all facets on the job. And slowly over the years, we built up that debt buying practice. As you know, Adam, um, primarily started in Illinois, our Mm -hmm. home base and and purchasing defaulted credit card portfolios because we could, we saw an opportunity to scale that business, um, and opened up satellite environments in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and California. Mm-hmm. Um, brought on my partner and Steve and I per, um, bought out the original ownership group in 2010 okay. and established the law firm on, um, in addition to the debt collection, uh, in, in addition to the debt purchasing entity. And here we are celebrating our going on our 22nd year in February. Wow. Well, that is quite a storied career. And I think it also kind of brings us to the discussion today about that intersection of a collections law firm and a debt buying organization, because it sounds like normally my second question would be, tell us all about Resurgence Legal Group, right? And Resurgence Capital. Um, But since our whole topic today is going to be about that intersection, I just wanted to jump right into it. Um, And I think the, the easiest way to describe this is probably to start where you and I met, and that was back at Credit Max. And so a long time ago in a faraway place, we were purchasing direct credit card portfolios direct from the issuer and collecting them without legal work for 180 days over at CreditMax. Max. 
After the 180 days, we would resell those portfolios on a state basis, mostly to localized attorneys that were in the collection space and that were working their either state or regional areas. But that kind of Back then, it felt like it was a lot of law firms that were running these kind of side businesses as debt buyers. And it feels like as I've got to know your organization over the years, that's not really the case. You're more of a, you may be a law firm, but you operate more as a financial services organization. And so through the years, I've seen kind of these challenges as as people have lived in that hybrid scenario, but you've actually found a niche and comfort in living between those two worlds. Talk to me a little bit about how being a debt buyer and being a law firm has enabled your organization to do all the things that it has done. Yeah, great intro. And, and you, you bring back the glory days. There's no question the industry has evolved a ton. Um, but, but yes, I think we're, we're uniquely positioned to, to some extent, right? And mm. so to your point, for the better part, as I you know talked about in resurgence back in 2002, really for the better part of 10 years, we were, we were a debt buyer. Mm. Um, we were buying primarily uh, you know, City and Chase paper because we could. Mm. Um, the industry lent itself to it. We saw an opportunity, as I said, to sort of scale the business. So for, for the most part, we were imploring that legal channel model to it. You know, we were attorneys by trade. And so for the most part, we we were buying later stage paper that had gone to agencies and simply, you know, applied our legal model mm -hmm. in a, what I would say, more analytical way to the process of litigation, right? And so we were buying later stage credit card portfolios um, for, for probably the better part of 10 years until I would say you know, right around the time recession or really the regulatory environment change, right? When mm -hmm. you started to see some of those consent orders come in, well, that that had a big impact on downstream buyers such as ourselves, right? So sure. we looked at for a period of time, Adam, geographic growth, right? Mm -hmm. our, our growth was traditionally vertical in, in that we have a platform, we can scale it. Um, we think there's other sites that are attractive to us. The challenge during those times is that we couldn't buy enough paper in our core states just by the growth, right? And mm -hmm. so the, the industry was evolving to your point. And so as opposed to looking vertically, we, we certainly looked more horizontally in the sense that, you know, some of the larger buyers were restricted from retrades. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to buy into different verticals such as, um, you know, and still legal backed paper. We're, we're lawyers mm -hmm. by trade. So we weren't looking to acquire um, low balance payday loans. We were really looking sure. at contract paper that would, you know, support a case in court. So auto other products or other product verticals, credit product verticals that would enable you to still have a solid underwriting, a predictable outcome to some level. And I think that's why people have stuck to with, credit with, cards. With so early documents on. that you could support. That's yeah, exactly right. Predictability. So we, we looked at we looked at audit efficiencies, consumer loans, and that really helped us diversify our book a bit, but but getting back to your original point, what also happened was a lot of those larger buyers that we had been buying from and behind for so many years were restricted from trade. And mm -hmm. so for us, um, we were in this unique position that we had, you know, we, we have a law firm background. We, you know, from a reputational risk standpoint, we had been working the accounts, been working the, you know, the paper for 10 plus years. We knew how to tell the story. We knew how to articulate the chains of title and the relationship between the entities. Mm. And so a lot of those large debt buyers gave us an opportunity to service, 
Mm-hmm. So for us, it was certainly a little bit of a different model. We had to build out client services, but from an operational standpoint, it remained the same. In fact, it created opportunity for us, right? We were mm-hmm. no longer fronting purchase price and court costs on all of our inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to deleverage that a bit. We had a steady stream of placements now with partners that we knew and trusted for years, but also had this debt buying arm that we could offset it with. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is, the real value that we saw as a business was the flexibility Mm -hmm. in the sense that we no longer as a boutique debt buyer, which is rare in this space, we were no longer reliant on the volatility of the debt buying market. And and, and we just weren't able to, you know, compete at some of the prices that were out there. So allowing us to take on that servicing, you know, gave us more flexibility. We Mm -hmm. weren't so reliant on the debt buying piece, but also Adam, we weren't so reliant on the servicing side either, Mm -hmm. meaning that we were able to take on clients that really more so fit our mindset and our business philosophy and clients that work like partners that we will, that we were able to sort of work in that operational systematic fashion, as you alluded to before. And so, you know, here we are, as I've said, you know, 22 years later, we, we like the position we're in whereby we're a true hybrid where, Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we sort of walk that middle um, and are able to still acquire regional and state specific portfolios because of the states that we're in, Illinois and California being large enough to take down some of these portfolios, mm-hmm. um, able to service. And also what we've been able to do is come up with agreements, um, whether it be participation or otherwise, that have allowed us to co-purchase portfolios and retain 100% servicing rights. So mm-hmm. point being is we've been able to quite honestly pivot in 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 the marketplace to yes, evolve from being just a debt buyer to a debt buyer law firm and really sort of be niche in both, which I think is rare. Well, it seems like there's um, you found this diversification between the two worlds, right? And you're able to be more um, let's say thoughtful in your decisions about which portfolios to purchase or which clients to take on from a servicing perspective. And it's given you a nice balance, but it also sounds like through the years, there's become this level of sophistication required that would become a barrier to entry for, let's say a family lawyer to get in and start handling debt collection cases. I mean, besides the fact that obviously different types of law are different, but now there's this new set of technical requirements and other barriers that would create a, um, let's call it a limitation for new participants in the marketplace. Absolutely. Great point. Yeah. I mean, you know, people look at the collection space and, you know, the, the art of collections is not necessarily complex, but our processes are extremely complex. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not simple. There's an extremely complex process driven business that, that a lot of these law firms are running. And when you talk about barriers to entry, yeah. I mean, the value that we've had on the servicing side, quite honestly, came from our background in debt buying. Mm-hmm. For example, just being a data-centric company and really being analytic, you know, in in looking at how we would treat these portfolios, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think the data was an important piece. It gave our clients comfort level. It gave us credibility mm-hmm. in terms of really being able to process um, the inventory efficiently um, while protecting 
you know, client and reputational risk at the same time. And there's just a lot of nuance, not just from the data side, but really understanding the document side. And so, you know, sure, we started out with credit cards back in the day, and there was a lot of um, telling the story, articulating the right way, whether it be to judges, to consumers, to opposing counsel. Well, here we are, you know, 15, 20 years later, sort of looking at the reinvention of that with the financial technology paper, right? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's nuances that applied to credit cards that really are kind of the inverse from a fintech product. So mm -hmm. the ability to understand the data in docs and then be able to plead it and articulate it matters. And so, you know, back to your point of the barrier to entry, there, there really is. There really is an expertise level needed. You know, I think, you know, with our experience, Adam, at the RMAI, the certification program was a big part of that in mm -hmm. terms of weeding out the bad actors and really establishing sort of this, you know, the guidelines and the best practices in terms of how to operate. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, each firm taking it upon themselves to apply that to their size and scope. But I think it, it's, it's lent itself to a cleaner um, and more nuanced process mm -hmm. that yes, absolutely is not something that you can just walk into. You're dealing with a lot of volume um, and potentially a lot of risk and exposure. So how you balance that matters. Well, I think when you talk about the data, that's a, a great point because you're talking about these complex waterfalls, right? And so like after spending the last 20 years refining various waterfalls for various clients, you realize that like there is no perfect answer, right? Like there is no end to some of these processes. It is a constant um, evaluation, reevaluation, looking at the changing preferences of the consumer. How are we communicating with them? What are we doing here? So for me, it's been this like, constant flow of new technology and having to find ways to uh, leverage it across your organization. And I know as we start talking about AI, that's, I feel like AI and legal are two things that probably need to stay apart temporarily, at least from the cases that I'm um, in the, the attorneys that are being sanctioned. But I think that there is a, a life for technology and this financial services and law. And now you're trying to balance kind of uh, three plates, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think it's extremely ripe, of course. I mean, from, from the analytics and data side, I mean, what helps us is obviously we have history, so we can be mm -hmm. predictive. You know, now we're looking at 20 years of, of historical that it helps us. But to your point, I think one of the most interesting sort of facets to our business that keeps us sort of fresh and on the cusp is that it's, it is always evolving. So it's, you know, you could have business rules that, that were applicable two weeks ago, and you have a judge in a given jurisdiction that changes. Um, so you're dealing with constant change of court rules. You and I see it, you know, at the state and federal level, of course, from a regulatory standpoint, but you bring up an interesting piece on the technology. No, I think the, I think the legal side is extremely right for it. I mean, the step, the first step was obviously e-filing. And I think the silver lining of COVID from the attorney's perspective is obviously being able to, to digitize and, and do virtual hearings, um, but there's significant value, I think, in utilizing some of these technology tools for, quite honestly, smaller boutique firms. So when you mm -hmm. look at how you Amplifier. are addressing consumers, yeah, I mean, how you're addressing consumers in today's day and age, while while texting may be, um, you know, some of the firms may not be quite there yet. I think email is is a channel of technology that certainly you can get your head around because of. Um, 
the ability to regulate it, the ability mm-hmm. to look at it, the ability, the ability to manipulate the data the correct way, sanitize it, utilize compliance with it. But there are so many law firms um, from a size standpoint that don't have the resources or capacity to put agents or a call center perhaps on those accounts, right? Mm-hmm. The way that a larger firm may be able to. So that's where I really think that Adam, you know, the digital technology and email becomes a big play for these collection law firms because it's something that can work behind the scenes concurrently with your legal process Mm -hmm. to help you communicate with the consumer in the way that they want to be communicated with, without completely disrupting the flow of the legal process. Use it in unison too. And I think, I think that's really where we're headed is how Mm -hmm. you um, sort of leverage the traditional legal process with the technologies that's available to aid the consumer and the firm. I, I think that's I think an opportunity. It's incredibly well said. And I think that a lot of, we talk about technology across the industry in a lot of different ways. I was reading the, uh, the TransUnion Dados report, their third party um, collection uh, from 2023. And they were talking about how 11% of organizations have actually deployed AI and then another 40% are talking about it, which means that those have actually deployed or are further down that path towards doing it are looking at massive competitive advantages. And as we talk about the law firms and the separation between, let's say, a family law firm's technology and a collections law firm's technology is is dramatic, right? And now we're going to start talking about the application of artificial intelligence to where this gap is just going to get wider and wider. So I guess my point for our listeners is make good friends with your local collection attorney because it's getting harder and harder for new organizations to come into that space. Yeah, I think I think that's true. You know, th- those are great points. And, and that's you know, this dialogue we talk about, I mean, that that's sort of what wakes, that's what makes this industry somewhat unique, right? I mean, there is certainly opportunities for, for new players to come in with eyes wide open. And, and mm-hmm. Adam, you and I have talked a lot of it about this, you know, just during our board conversations, we want that new perspective, right? Mm-hmm. You want that fresh perspective. And I think it's, it's, it's that and measuring in, you know, the regulations, the compliance, um, the data piece that we already have. And that's, you know, that's the balance. That's the delicate balance. And that's, you know, kind of what, what, what keeps us going. But I, I see, you know, I, I see opportunity on the technology side for sure. Um, and at the same point in time, you're right. That, you know, with all the volume and all the data at risk, I would be remiss if I didn't just talk about the relationship aspect because it matters so much who you do business, how you do business. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, with the kind of volume that we're working on, things go sideways, right? So it's all about how you respond. And that's where, you know, the experience in working on the debt buying side and continuing to and being sort of on the front lines with either issuers or larger debt buyers, it really only supports the practice of law now because we have that background and we have that expertise. So um, it feels like we just brought this conversation full circle, my friend. (laughs) That's, that's what we do. We, you know, we, we probably could do this with a multitude of topics, but we're going to try to keep it tight for today. Oh, one of these days I'm going to bring you on with Naaman so we can really have fun. That's yes. 
Todd, I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat with me today. Your insights are always greatly appreciated. And I think that your knowledge and background on both the legal and debt buying side coming together, I I think provides some incredible insights for those that are working on either side of that equation. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. And I only apologize it took us so long to get this going, but uh, we'll do another get. We'll do another one soon. Well, much appreciated. For those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions you'd like to ask Todd or myself, you can leave those in the comments on LinkedIn and YouTube, and we'll be responding to those. If you have additional topics you'd like to see us discuss, you can leave those in the comments below as well. And I'm willing to bet I can get Todd to come back at least one more time to help me continue to create great content for a great industry. But until next time, thank you everybody for watching. And Todd, I'll see you soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Adam. All right. Thanks, everybody.